Hi, I'm Gary Nall. I'd like to welcome you to a continuation of our ongoing self-empowerment series. And today's lecture is, Whose Life Have We Mastered? Well, you might think, well, it's self-evident. I master my own life. I went to school, I went to graduate school, got a job, had a family, and uh, and now looking forward to what to do for the next part of my life. What's the issue? Well, the issue is that right now we are a nation that's, that's in a crisis, not just the coronavirus crisis, not just the fact that many people were for the first time spending time together, couples or families in their home in quarantine, but we're now having to come to that deeper issue. Did I succeed at someone else's life? What I mean is this. Almost everyone masters multiple things in life. Of course we master our career. That's how we're able to stay there and grow and be rewarded for it. But would that have been the ideal career if we had no one else giving us input and we made that decision for ourselves? Yeah, that being an architect or being a lawyer, engineer, a carpenter, plumber, a salesperson? Would we have chosen what we ended up doing if we were looking at what I ideally would love? What really stimulates my whole sense of purpose and meaning? So therefore, in order to understand whose life you've mastered, you first have to ask, what is the central meaning of your life? That frequently is, is confusing to people because they think, well, the meaning of my life is to be a good person, be a good husband, wife, um, be a responsible member of my society. That's all true. But it goes beyond that. Because I've counseled tens of thousands of people. I've worked with hundreds of thousands of people, clearly over a half million, in all of my health support groups, of which I've had over 200 clinical studies, over 44, and retreats, uh, probably about a hundred. So in all that, I've had a chance to meet a lot of people, and I counsel a lot of people. And no matter what disease or ill state of health they bring into my office, the conversation generally gets around as to why. Why are you morbidly obese? Why do you have diabetes? Why do you have emphysema or heart disease? Why do you believe you may have cancer? Is there anything in your lifestyle, your behavior, your beliefs that could have contributed to this? Because giving a person a protocol to help them really works if you know what it is that was the underlying progenitor, the underlying cause. What was the foundation upon which this disease had a chance over decades to emerge until one day it's the central meaning of your life? And disease should not be the central meaning of your life because then the emotions of the central meaning of your life are despair, depression, angst or anxiety, fear, a sense of loss. When someone was recently, um, that I counseled, recently told that their condition was inoperable, they should put their life into order, and, and the person said, for the first time in my entire life, I realized the day's going to come when the house I live in is no longer going to be me living in it. Someone else will. They'll have no knowledge of me. And the work I did that I thought was so important and contributed to everyone else's work in my work environment, I'm no longer going to be there. Someone else will take my place. My friends and family will miss me, but they'll go on. And he said, wow, he said, I suddenly had this deep, aching sense of, of incompleteness that I wanted to finish my life as I'd always thought. I'd have some golden years, and I'd have a chance to have a bucket list and go around the world, maybe to some place I could afford to visit. Now I'm told I only have a couple months or less. So I have to try to get everything organized before I die so that my, my, the other people in my life will at least uh, not have to deal with my bills or my estate. And he was just, his whole body language was just down. So I said, okay. The doctor says you're going to die and has given you a death date. How do you know that's right? What if I told you that a lot of people, lots of people I've worked with, have had to face that death date and turn it around? Now they've got a life date. But to do that, you have to have a, 
a meaning greater in your life, a purpose greater in your life than dying and preparing yourself for dying. Well, if the doctor says, well, again, if you accept the doctor's right and you are going to die, then I can't help you. I can help people to varying degrees if they accept that they still can change their perception and change their reality. Now, a lot of people, when given a protocol, will say, what? I got to change all this? I'm not going to change. I'd rather die. And I think, well, think about that. You're making your comfort. You're wanting bacon eggs in the morning and coffee with sugar and toast. You're wanting your french fries and hamburgers. You're wanting, you're wanting all these things you've had your whole life, but those are the very reasons why you're sick now and you're seeing me. Is it such a difficult challenge to say, I can give that up. My life is more important than my comforts. I can go through some discomfort. I can master some new things. Yes, of course you can, and we should. But again, let me focus on this. We can only live a life of meaning when we are the architects of that life. That means that too often we tell people, let's get you up off where you're at. Let's addiction, diabetes, heart disease, depression, divorce, firing, loss of whatever. Let's get you up and get you motivated. And so we'll try to motivate people. Uh, Norman Cousins says, watch funny movies. So we can watch the Marx Brothers, W.C. Fields, or any comedy you want. That'll make you feel better, at least in the moment. Uh, let's read some positive inspiration. Let's read some Rimi poems. Let's, let's uh, read some Confucius philosophy. Uh, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra. All that is legitimate. All that is good. Here is my problem with all that. And think about this for a moment, please. Just go to neutral and, and wrap your mind on this. What if all the people with all the earnestness and good intention wanted you to get up and be normal again, but what if in your life that normal was your actual problem? Think about that. What if going on that road, okay, we got you up, we have a whole support system, we're helping you, right? We got you through the 12-step program or we got you Overeaters Anonymous or Gambler Anonymous or Alcoholic Anonymous, whatever it is, and we're helping you, you're back up on your feet. Now, you've been motivated, go forward. So the person goes forward and suddenly, as if they're walking in quicksand, there's still this big empty, there's something missing at the center of their being and they can't figure it out. How about this? How about they mastered the wrong life? Someone else was the architect of the road they are on and have been on, and they were obedient. Thoreau says something to this effect. You cannot be a good citizen and a good person. Choose which. Now, Thoreau th thought it was best to be a good person because there are certain obligations and responsibilities that come with being a good citizen. Obedience, trust in authority, doing what you're supposed to do without questioning. And a lot of people do that. And right now, take a look at the world and see what happens when we don't question genetically engineered food. We don't question the bailout, all of that money going to Wall Street and the big corporations and not trickling down to those people who are just drowning in debt. What happens when we're told to go to college? And we do, but then we're not told that robotics, artificial intelligence, transhumanism, students coming in on visas who are highly educated, willing to work for one third the money, and we're told nothing about competing with that. We're not even told whether or not there will be a job in what I'm majoring in. So what if I spend 50, $100,000, I get a degree and there's no job? 50% of all graduates right now have no jobs in the career that they thought they needed to have it in. And as a result, what good was that college? They didn't have to go to college. They could have gone to trade school and been a plumber, electrician, carpenter, mason, glazier, roofer, tiler, and they would have had work and had a living income. But no, they were obedient. They did what everyone expected them to do, 
go to college, get your degree. That was then. When I went to college, there were three jobs waiting for every graduate. You had your choice. Today, there's now 22 million people out of work just in the last month, and it's going to get worse. It could go to 30 million people out of work easily. Well, a lot of those jobs are going to be gone. Small businesses in particular cannot stay out of business and keep the doors closed and pay for all their debts, pay their rent, uh, and where the employees going to be. You got to start all over. And a lot of them will not have the money and they'll just close it up. That meant all those jobs are not going to be there. And yet we're not training people in what really represents legitimate careers, where there are going to be jobs. So that's what happens when you're a good citizen, instead of doing your own independent research, your own independent fact-checking, where you stay intentionally aware. I want to be aware that if I'm going to go to college, which college should I go to? An Ivy League school and have the moniker, I went to an Ivy League school, Harvard, Yale, you know, uh, University of uh, Chicago, Stanford, all good schools, but no better than a state university. The perception is better, the reality it's not. You can have highly intelligent teachers doing outstanding teaching in a, at a public school or a private school, an Ivy League or a non-Ivy League school. It's just this perception of what we should be doing is consensus controlled. So a group of people get together and say, this is what is real. You should go here. You should eat this food. You should live in this neighborhood. You should take this job. That's a good relationship, not a good relationship. We don't realize how many people have had input in the determinants of our life, what we're choosing to do. And so one day we're obedient. We, we are the good citizen, the good son, the good daughter, the good mother, the good father. We do everything we're supposed to do and we end up exactly where we think we should end up and where there's a big empty. Something is incomplete. And that generally is because we didn't create our own path. We were on someone else's path and we succeeded. But in the succeeding, there was the deception that with all that comes from succeeding, a certain position of respect within the society, a certain bragging rights within the family, my son, my daughter, and suddenly we, we want to honor them. We want to make sure that all these responsibilities, including emotional commitment responsibilities, that people can brag about us. People can say, yeah, they did good. Look at them. They did good. They don't know what's going on in here. They don't know when we feel our moods, deep moods, anxious moods, we wake up one night and think, my God, what am I doing? I'm going through a series of formalized rituals. It's Monday. I know exactly what I'm going to do Monday because I've done the same thing Monday. I'm going to know what television I'm going to watch or what internet show I'm going to tune into, what podcast. I know what newspaper I'm going to read and which columns I'm going to like. I know where I'm going to stop for lunch and get the same thing I've been having. I know. I know what happens when I want to go to the gym or don't want to go to the gym. So what in my life is new, vital, refreshing, exciting, passionate, creative, joyful, pleasurable? What? It's the big gray, just like the man in the gray flannel suit, the film with Gregory Peck. Very important. It shows the, the, the downside of conformity, the downside of let's all live the same, same kind of houses, same kind of cars, Everything's the same. The big bland, bland, boring. And so when we're so bored, when we're so, when we're so caught up in trying to please everyone and be a responsible citizen, then society says, it's okay. Look, we're all bored. We're all insecure at some level. We're all incomplete at some level. We hide it. We disguise it. But now, you have ways you can sublimate. So if your life over here is, is successful because you're good at what you do and you're earning an income, but it's incomplete, then over here you can watch films. You can be pa a passive spectator. You can watch porn all you want if you're not sexually satisfied. That's a substitute. That's a surrogate. If I don't have a really thriving sex life, well, porn is a, a poor substitute, but people have it. For decades, the number one reason people went to the internet. Or you can socially drink. 
Nobody knows how much you're socially drinking, whether you're drinking too much or not, but it creates a buzz and it tunes you out to anxiety. So you're there, your body's there, but your mind's not connecting you. You're cognitively disconnected from a lot of the stuff around you. There's no new input, there's no learning, there's no real emotion. You're just present, just like a guy that you see in the streets got a needle, heroin needle in the arm. Or you can overeat. You can feel your frustration because we're a nation that overeats. It's probably the most single common thing we do when we've mastered a life that's not our own, when we're on someone else's path, when we're not the architect. So we can't say that to people because we don't want other people to say, well, what's wrong with you? Look how good you have it. Look what you've achieved. You know, look at your friends, your family, look at your position, you know, and all that's true. But that doesn't mean that that's you. That's, that's someone you became so that you wouldn't feel the guilt or shame and security or uncertainty of disappointing people. And wanting people to like you, wanting people to respect you, wanting people to acknowledge you, that's one of the achievements for people who are not otherwise high-level achievers. Interesting story. My father, just a regular guy, but he had a little tavern. And it was a little tavern, but everybody enjoyed going there because they would socialize. And uh, he would always make all this fried fish, catfish, and he put a lot of salt on it. And he drank a lot of beer, uh, 2% beer. These guys all had bellies out of beer. I said, Dad, why all the salt in the fish? He'd just sit there and go, shh. I said, Dad, that, that's going to cause heartache. No, 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 no. No, he says, besides, when people are eating something salty and crunchy, they like a good beer. Well, we got the good beer, and they don't get drunk. But I said, but Dad, that's not healthy for you. Now, mind you, I'm only a teenager telling him this. I had no background in nutrition. But here's the, what was interesting, is that almost every Saturday and Sunday, when people are hanging out in there and watching ball games, someone would start to tell a story. And I'll just give you one example, true story. This guy gets up, I'm guessing he's about, well, let's say he's about 40 years old. And he's talking about when he was on the Big Red uh, football team at Parkersburg High. And it was in a championship game. And he ran down and he lost vision of the ball. And he didn't know where the ball was, but he knew it should be near. And he put his hands out, the ball hit his hands. He grabbed it, went in, went, won the touchdown, and they won the game. And everybody in the bar was just, oh, man, that is terrific, right? And I turned to my dad and I said, Dad, is something wrong here? He said, what? I said, I've heard that story 20 times. He said, Gary, don't judge that. Everyone in here, you've heard their story dozens of times. And they tell these stories because in the presence of their friends, they're still somebody. And that's when they did something that nobody will ever forget. Now, nobody ever forgets anyone's special moments. He said, Gary, you walked 100 miles for the bicentennial of, of West Virginia. And that was a big deal here. You and uh, Ron and, and Zach, you walked up to Moundsville and back, and you got the key to the city, this little wooden key, and it was tough, and there, they were, had people the whole time you were walking reporting where you were at, where the walkers were, the Centennial Walkers. And then you got invited to the Amvets and the Moose and the, the KFC and, and um, uh, VHW, Veterans of Foreign Wars. You got invited to all these places to give a little talk, right? For the rest of their lives, everybody will remember, Gary Nall and his two buddies did something special. No one had done it in America. They walked. Uh, to celebrate, and you got a little letter from the White House where President Kennedy acknowledged this. What if you did nothing else the rest of your life? If that was the only thing you did, would you be proud of it? I said, I, I guess. He said, well, understand, Gary, you're not, you're not allowed to judge someone for the moment in life where they were unique as you wouldn't want to be judged by the rest of your life 
that is boring and where you're just a good citizen. So live with your success for three days, then forget that it ever happened because you're going to go to New York. I don't know anyone in New York. I don't want to go to New York. You need to go to New York because I don't want to see you here when you're 40 and telling people how you walked the centennial. And boy, that stuck with me. My father was giving me information that was a little above my intellectual pay raise. I, I, I didn't quite understand what he was saying. I, I was a teenager, not terribly bright. Um, we were kind of in a cloistered environment in West Virginia, good teachers, knew civics and some history, of course. And now I look back and see how much of that was real and how much was what we were supposed to learn as good citizens. But it stuck with me that, yes, if I'd only achieved one thing in my life that stood out, then maybe that's all I could talk about. So we tell people our story. And how often have you heard people tell you their story over and over and over again? And, the, and, and you've heard it a hundred times. You know someone else's story so well, you could tell it verbatim. That doesn't change the outcome. And yet only when we understand that that story is the story of who we are, or at least who we want people to think we are. So if we've suffered, if we've been betrayed, if we've been lied to, if we've been cheated, if we've had something unique happen, if we've been blessed and gifted by certain opportunities and circumstances, that's what we want to share with people because we want people to say, here's my story, can you accept me? Here's my story, can you feel for me? Here's my story, can you laugh with me? Here's my story, can you cry with me? That's important because only by understanding you're more significant than your stories. And it's time to start a whole new story. It's time to start over, no matter what your age. And we'd like to think, well, you know, it's, it's all behind me. No, it's not. Stop living your life by looking in the rearview mirror, memories that you were fond of or memories that you're disappointed in. Start to live your life as if, yes, I can change. I can start all over. Now that takes discipline. That takes commitment. You have to surrender so many things. You have to decide what responsibilities do I no longer feel obligated to do? And that suddenly frees up time and energy and de-stresses you. My goodness, I don't have to do that anymore. Then look over here and ask yourself, what new responsibilities do I want? How about the responsibility of becoming intentionally aware instead of unintentionally ignorant. Because when we don't know the truth of how we are living and who's got control over our lives and how, how a vaccine may not have been shown to be safe and effective, but we assume it is, so therefore we just stick out our arm to take it and then end up with negative consequences, then don't know what to do because how could anyone use me or the rest of our society as human guinea pigs? How could you use babies' guinea pigs? How could you use anybody's guinea pigs? That defies my process of growing up, I was told that those who lead a society, the leaders, the policymakers and opinion leaders, they put the people first. They put health, where, uh, health and, and happiness first and safety first. And I'm finding out, my God, it's not true. It's just the opposite. You mean I've been living my opposite this whole time? No, you've been in denial of your opposite. You've embraced the truth of official stories and it's been sanctioned within your psyche. So you resist anyone trying to change it. And hence, you don't want the truth if it's not a truth that is embedded in your psyche. You don't want to go find the truth. That's too much work. That's too confusing. Who are you supposed to believe? Today, most therapists and motivational authors give the inspirational thought of how to overcome traumas, dreams that have gone wrong, crisis, insecurities, fears, depression, anxieties, in order to continue us going forward as if all we needed is to become normal again. I'm suggesting that society's idea of normal is not good for us today. It was. There was a time when we had to work together as a society 
And we did. We had the pioneers. We had the settlers. We had people. We had people who cared about each other. That's how they survived. They had to. There had to be the we, not just the me. And then that lasted up to about 1975. And from 1975 till today, it's just been outsourcing of jobs, exploiting workers to get the most work for the least amount of money. And this inequality did not happen in a vacuum. The heads of all the major governmental agencies, the, head, the people who sit at the president's, uh, as the president's council and the cabinet members, these people are responsible for this. The media is responsible because it refused to show what was bad about outsourcing jobs and outsourcing brands. So one time, the Ladies International Garment Workers Union could make dresses, make a living wage here and have a quality of life. All that was taken off to Bangladesh where 800 million garments are made at 14 cents an hour and brought back in. No media discussion. No one is showing that problem. We're not showing the problem of our military industrial complex working with the corruption of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates to go into the poorest country in the Middle East and causing up to 19 million of its citizens to be starving to death and suffering from cholera, a major, major malnutrition, and yet not a single word in the news. So you see, it's not that people are ignorant of that. It's just that if you bring in the reality of what we do as individuals and who we give our responsibility to, well, we voted for these people. We voted for Obama. We voted for Trump. We voted for Clinton. We voted for Bush. Look what they did with the power we gave them. So what does it mean about us? If we're willing to not look at the truth of who uses our power inappropriately and with lack, lacking humanity, does that mean that we are making decisions from our own incompleteness? I believe the answer is yes. And that's why I want people to know they should be able to, to be the architects of their own future. Only when you own your mistakes and your successes can you become the architect and stay on the right path. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Let's just say, for example, that you decide that success is important for you because you want your family to have everything. But then you look around and see what other people have. What's their other stuff? What stuff they have you don't have? So now you're working extra hours, extra hard with greater stress and you're juggling more balls of responsibility because now you've got to be responsible for doing more at work, earning more income, pushing yourself harder. So that creates an imbalance in your life. And with an imbalance, there's always going to be a problem and it's going to be cumulative. So now that you have to go to work earlier and come home later, you don't have quality time for hobbies, to be with your loved ones, to be with the very people that you care about. Now think of this. You're willing to sacrifice the quality time to be with your children, with your partner, and do the wonderful things families historically did together because you want to work hard enough to buy them something. When was the last time a kid or a partner says, the only reason I'm in this relationship is because I'm waiting for you to buy me something equal to what the neighbors bought someone in their family? No. They want your time. They want your energy. They don't want you stressed. They want you to be together and have joyful, fun, laughing, wonderful moments. But your moments are highly stressed because you got to make more. So now you're a careerist. So not only are you more stressed, that leads to heart disease, that leads to strokes, that leads to elevation of your cortisol and your stress hormones, but it also increases estrogen utilization in the body and that makes you more susceptible to cancers, breast cancer, prostate cancer, and diseases. Now you don't have time to exercise because you don't have the time. You don't have time to walk the dog. Now that dog's got a clock ticking. You know, at best they might live average dogs, maybe 14 years. Some unique dogs living on more of a raw food diet and a healthy diet and outside and with love, they could live 20 years. I had a dog live 22 years, another dog lived 21 years. I got a current dog living 18 years. Two of them died by accidents or they'd still be alive. A cat at 25. But I spend every day showing them love, spending time with them because that's all they want. They're there for me every day. No matter what my mood or emotion, they're going to love me. No matter what I'm going through, they're going to bond with me. 
Just that petting of the pet that you have creates oxytocin, the love hormone. Holding hands with your partner, same hormone. Hugging, the same hormone. And doing things together. But then we don't have that time. And then one day we find out the dog's sick, so we've got to be put down. And then you go through that heartbreak. I wasn't there. The dog looks at you and says, I was here for you every moment of every day. I never gave you an attitude. I was never depressed. I was never anxious. I was always here. And you think, God, where's my priorities? Where's my priorities? And then you realize you have the wrong priorities. Why? Because they're not your priorities. They're what you're conditioned to believe you've got to do in order to satisfy other people's liking you, respecting you, or acknowledging you. You're climbing this mythical ladder that doesn't exist. We keep hearing things like, you know, you feel, oh, you got to, you know, you got to keep climbing and, and you got to go through these sacrifices. Why? To get something you didn't need to begin with? To buy things you don't need with money you don't have? So everybody today who's successful in their career is almost always broke. Because whatever they have, they keep spending to get more. Because what they have is not enough. Well, if it's not enough to have a wonderful human being who sacrificed their life to be in your life, then what's enough, buddy? What's it going to take to pay attention and start to appreciate the time, the energy, the sacrifices that someone else has given to you? I'd say that would be a very fortunate person to appreciate the good that other people do by sticking by you, sharing energy with you, harmonizing with you. Don't ever take another person in your life, a friend or a relationship, for granted because there's an expiration date on everything. So I have to acknowledge any mistake I've made. I have to acknowledge and own it. I, if I can't own it, I can't change it. It's only what we own emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, morally, ethically, and creatively, can we do something with it? Then it's not just the ether, the ethereal mindset that we kind of allow ourselves to float in or artificially induced through medications or through drugs. No, we have to ground ourselves and say, okay, I'm about to make a choice. What would be the likely outcome of choice A or choice B? Follow it through. And where in this whole process do my constraints dictate my journey? Because almost always, our constraints limit us. They're that anchor that we tied in our back and tied to a wall, so when we want to go forward, we're stopped. Why don't we turn around and say, what constitutes my constraints? Well, too many responsibilities. Working too hard. Living in the wrong place. Not having a good support system. And not feeling complete in each day. Not having time for nature. Not having time for friendships. Not having time for hobbies, not having time to continue reading interesting books and seeking out new information and enjoying other cultures, learning about other cultures. Those are our constraints. And why? Fear, insecurity, guilt, and one of the biggest ones is, is the silent ego. What we cannot change in our environment, we frequently turn our emotions on ourselves, feeling low self-esteem, weakness of character, and somehow we're a failure. Look at me. Look where I'm at. Can't take care of this. I've lost that. I you know, screwed up that. And so we just keep beating up on ourselves. This is somehow this emotional flagellation, you know, like a whip on our back until it bleeds. That somehow that's redemption for the bad mistakes. No, suffering does not redeem bad mistakes. Being consciously aware of how you made those mistakes, that is redemption because then you're learning from your mistakes. You're not simply saying, woe is me. And we have enough of this victim culture. This victim culture is just, it is, it is destroying a person's capacity to realize how unique they are as an individual because frequently victim culture comes from groups of people identifying problems and then only identifying with the emotion of the problem. So you, have, you can go to a talk group every week for years and if all you do is regurgitating your pain, how's that supposed to change the moment you're in, because you're acknowledging my life doesn't matter, just carrying my pain from yesterday into today. 
So day after day, you keep resurfacing your pain, putting it in front of you as if somehow it's going to make a difference. It doesn't. What makes a difference is being present in this moment and say, today I have no pain. Today I have no remorse. Today I have no, I have no anger, rage at anything from my past. I've forgiven it. I understand it. I'll learn its lessons. Remember, even in crisis, we can learn a positive lesson. How did we get here? What choices did I make? Did I contribute to this? How can I never allow this to happen again? Just think for a moment. What does it say about us as a society that with all that we have, with all the bountiful gifts, such a beautiful country, so much diversity, so many wonderful human beings here, that it's only a heart attack, a stroke, a cancer, that we finally say, oh, okay, all right, I'm going to change. And changing out of desperation is rarely change that anyone is going to continue. Changing out of awareness of how to be a happier, better human being, that is something we own. And then what do I need? Which tools should I select? What kind of support do I need? And then how do I know I'm on the right path? You'll feel it. We think that what we think is our reality, and we never think that what we feel is our reality. We have intuition. We have a grounded sense of what is right and wrong. How about this? How about thinking back to all the times in life that something was wrong and you chose to overlook it? Maybe you had the wrong relationship. Maybe you're doing something, you were in the wrong job. And it was only when that ended that you turned around and someone says, well, didn't you understand what you were doing? And you said, yeah, yeah, wow. There were so many red lights I just drove right through. I made excuses. Maybe I thought if I made excuse for the weakness of another person or inappropriate behavior of another person, they would make excuse for my inappropriate and weaknesses and limitations. And that brings me to this. About two years ago, I came up with a new concept. And uh, it's just something to think about. If it makes sense, fine. If it doesn't, don't use it. I wondered why in my life some things seem so easy to succeed at, almost effortless. And other things, no matter how hard I tried, they didn't work. And then I realized it was just like that. The five harmonizing energies. The right idea, at the right time, in the right place, with the right support system, and you've got to be the right person. If those all are there, then something, a door opens and everything happens. I've been blessed to have a lot of best-selling books, top award-winning documentaries, um, a very popular radio show that's been on the air for 53 years, one of the longest running radio shows in American history, the longest health show in American history. And uh, um, I'm, I've had a lot of good inventions and I've met a lot of nice people. How did that happen? I came from a very humble background and uh, no door openers. And then I started looking at what, what went on. And then I started looking at all the things that I tried that didn't work. And I finally just said, enough. You know, I sold some properties that today you would think, why in the world would you sell that property? In fact, where we're at right now, we're down in, in uh, Texas at an anti-aging clinical study. And about an hour due west from here is a little town called Tioga. Tioga, Tioga, Texas is the birthplace of Gene Autry, the singing cowboy. And I bought a place there <clears throat> and I fixed it up and it became just a beautiful, wonderful place, 200 acres. <clears throat> All these exotic animals that I had, uh, had rescued and was re re rehabilitating them from being undernourished or abused and then finding homes for life. And people once a year in the month of August would come down there and we would have hay rides and jamborees and, and uh, would sit out on a, a dock at night over a beautiful lake on the property and sing 
and we would have uh, Sean Bhatnagar and all these wonderful people who'd come down and do workshops during this one month. So for me, it was just a blessed period. But then I started realizing outside of that month when I was there and sharing all that, there were a lot of problems and I didn't have a support system there. I, I, I had my older brother, but unfortunately, everything that could go wrong would go wrong. I remember once I got a call, all the air conditioners in all the rooms, uh, someone stole them and sold them. Oh, your pickup truck that you bought me for my birthday two weeks ago, someone sold it. Okay. And every, every week it was just another headache. And then I realized I don't have people there overseeing it in a responsible way. I tried hiring some people, didn't work out. Every time I went down, things were stolen. Tools were stolen, and I'd have to replace them. And then I just said, it's not worth it anymore. I've done everything humanly possible to have a place where people can go and enjoy it. But this is a big property. It takes a lot to maintain it. So I just sold it. Now I think someone, it's now a drug rehab clinic, and from what I understand, they're doing very well but it was offered back to me to buy back just two years ago or three years ago for $10 million. I sold it for 500,000. I bought it for 200,000, but I put a lot of money into it. Over, the, over that, it wasn't about the money because I found out that if something's not working, stop. And boy, do we not learn that lesson. We just keep doubling down, doubling down, doubling down. Just today, someone I know called me and they're in a crisis because they're at home with a husband in a relationship that has been loveless for 18 years. They don't get along, but now that person is home. I said, okay, so now's the time that you can communicate and resolve issues, hopefully, and be compatible for your children's sake. And then, well, I'm afraid about losing my job. Why? Well, because I'm the breadwinner. What do you mean? Well, my husband had a business that failed and then took out a big loan on our house. We had no mortgage on our house. Now his business went bankrupt and the maintenance, the covering the service charges on the house is more than what we could afford. I don't know what to do. And I said, let's start by looking back. What choices were made that in retrospect were the wrong choices? And then all the choices that were made were wrong choices. They were coming from fear and insecurity. They weren't looking ahead. And how many times do people gamble on something, it's already failing, and they're all in. Everything's in because they got their ego attached to it. And they think that's, you know, I put all this in there, I worked hard for this, I'm not gonna give up. And so they're right in one sense, they're, they're right in wanting to try to do the best they can, but then by having this kind of self-righteous indignation, I'm not going to give up on this, they end up losing it all. So they were right and they were wrong. Wrong choices come from ego and insecurity. When his business started going bad, that's when he saw that the whole economy was changing. People weren't buying the stuff they, that he, this person sells. So he should have said, let me stop now, cut my losses short, we still have a house, and the house is worth, it turns out, $800,000. And let me retool, go back to school in some craft, something I know I could do that I would like to do. And they didn't do any of that. Instead, they made wrong choices. Now the person's asking, for my, I gave the best advice I could. Hopefully they'll take it. Every day, however, people are failing at something they should have stopped when the signs were there that it wasn't working. They had one of those five things missing, and all it takes is one of those five things. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong support group, a wrong person, wrong idea. Any one of those, and you're going to fail. So then when I started to realize I succeeded when all five of those were in place, and I failed when they weren't in place, I'll give you one more example. Back in 1972, I bought what I could afford, a little old farm upstate. It was run down. $62,000 and I fixed it up and uh, 
my goal was, my dream was to have a place where artists who need to really have time to practice their craft will have a place they can go and, and do it. So I, I thought, okay, I'd walked around a lot down the East Village, down around St. Mark's Place, Manhattan, where a lot of artists in the East Village lived at the time. They were all struggling, hand to mouth. But I, I really respect the fact that they were willing to make a sacrifice for their ideals. And that's what artists do. That's part of a creative energy. And so I thought, what if they could go to a place where they wouldn't have to pay a penny? Their food would be paid for, beautiful environment, no rent, no utilities, and they could just spend all day on their craft for a year. And so I fixed the farm up for 50 people to live there, free. I had an organic garden. I had uh, French brick ovens. It was really terrific. And also I made food there because I owned the Fertile Earth Restaurant, the first gourmet vegan restaurant down on 108th and Broadway. And we would bring food each morning uh, into the city. This up near New Pulse, not very far. And so I had food for the restaurant. Stuff that was, unlike other restaurants, grown, made, fresh every morning. It was wonderful. You could get a whole meal for $2.50. And that was cheap then because I wanted no one to say they couldn't afford a meal. So in any case, uh, so I interviewed a lot of people and I selected 50 that each had a different talent. And I told them what would be required, just be civil, don't argue with people, you know, re be respectful, don't be playing music at night, you know, don't be doing your, you know, saxophone at, you know, midnight because other people are gonna be sleeping, just common standards. So, after all this interview, which took three months, and I selected the people, took them all up there. By the time I get back, my phone was ringing, and there's a caretaker. Oh, you got some problems here with some of the people. So I had to drive back up the next morning and resolve these differences. Every single day for three months, it was one problem after another, after another, after another, after another, until finally I said, that's it. I'm sorry, this isn't working. Well, it's her fault and his fault, and pettiness. I didn't realize, now I do, I didn't have the right support system. I had the right place and the right time and the right idea. I was the right person, but you need a support system for stuff to work. And they were supposed to be the support system. They were at least supposed to be gracious enough and thoughtful enough to say, thank you for giving us a free place to live with no rent and no expenses so we can spend time on our craft, eat organic food, be with nature. No, they weren't mature enough. I had confused, I had conflated, I had to own this, this is my mistake. I conflated the idea that they had talent, all of them were uniquely talented, with the fact that they were mature. They were not mature, but they were talented. How many people in our society are talented and not mature? Or feel entitled? So, that ended that. That always bothered me. Why didn't that work? And I had other situations also in life that didn't work. But now I understand what was missing. And then all the things I had that did work, and there have been a lot, now I understand why they worked. But it also works in its opposite. And here's something absolutely unique that I haven't discussed before. So we know that if you've got the five harmonizing energies, a lot of good can come. It can be exciting, wonderful, stress-free, but just the opposite is true because everything in life has its opposite always present. Good, you can have bad. Kindness, unkind. Selfless, selfish. Creative, sterile. So for every action, you can have an equal reaction. It's hardwired into us from hundreds of millions of different stimulations and lessons we've learned in life. So what allows us to go to one side or the other? Self-determination, a sense of really good and conscientious parenting and teaching and others who've had input into our lives, some people who've been kind enough to us to give us the wisdom of their mistakes so we don't make them for ourselves. You put all this together, and then you can make good decisions consistently, not just episodically or by 
some ritual of guilt that you have to do something good. You know, it's like the person says, I'm into health, and then they're smoking and eating a hamburger. No, they're not. They may listen to my radio show. That doesn't mean they're into health. But we appease our ego. We appease our dark side by throwing in some token gesture of goodness. Now look at the other. Look at the gangs. Look at the gangs in prisons. Look at the presidents of the United States. They go in with a few hundred thousand dollars and savings come out, and now two years later they're worth 20 million, 100 million. Obama will be the first probably billionaire ex-president. Clintons have hundreds of millions of dollars they've earned individually and billions in their Clinton Foundation. Look at all the people who were heads of organized crime. The Lucci family and Gambino family. And uh, these are people who did just the opposite of good, and yet they succeeded. They succeeded. Look at corporations. Look at all the major military industrial corporations. Look at the pharmaceutical industry. Look at the energy cartels. Look at uh, Monsanto and the agricultural cartels. Look at the bank and Goldman Sachs and Chase. Look at those cartels. They all are successful on the dark side of the equation. They had the right idea, power, be ruthless, take no prisoners. They had the right support system, the Federal Reserve or the government bailouts. They're always going to be bailed out. You and I won't be. They will be. They surround themselves with acolytes and neophytes who are willing to work for them, do all their dirty work, in order to get a part of that benefit. They want a seat at the table of power. And these are almost always the more educated people. These are the so-called best and brightest. Remember uh, Haberson's uh, back, uh, book back about the Vietnam War, McNamara and Kennedy and all these uh, people, they were considered the best and brightest, all Ivy League schools. Remember Nixon, Haldeman, Ehrlichman, John Dean, all the best and brightest, and criminals, right? And so it works. Think of the FBI, the National Security Agencies. Uh, think, of, think, of, think of the Pentagon. They can not account for almost $20 trillion and no one causes them to have any sleep lost. They're not responsible. Think of all the wars that we have created, we have created, and the human suffering we've inflicted. 59 interventions in countries that were democratically elected that we didn't like because they weren't willing to bow to our hegemonic needs. So we went in there and killed Tereus in South America. Think of all these people. Yeah, they were called the jackals. John Perkins was a person who was he was the person who went in and said, if you do what we want, you can make millions of dollars. If you don't, we're going to kill you. And then in come the jackals, and that's what they did. Regime changes. Those were perfect harmonies. Hitler, perfect harmony. Mussolini, perfect harmony. Japan, perfect harmony. Stalin, perfect harmony. Mao, perfect harmony. Pol Pot, perfect harmony. The Ku Klux Klan, perfect harmony. Yeah, the, the, the Christopher Columbus and those, he didn't come to America, he ended up landing in the Dominican Republic, but think of the perfect harmony. He had the power of the king and queen of Spain behind him. He had armadas. He had the support system to conquer and destroy tens of millions, and it led to other millions of Native Americans being destroyed, indigenous people being destroyed. Now later, it no longer was harmonizing. And then they, each and every one, ended up losing their power. Stalin, 1991, you know, the communist world came crashing down. But look at, Japan, look at China today. It's still communist. Look at the Falun Gong, a meditation group. They've, they've, um, they've imprisoned and organ harvested over 100 million of them. Look at what they do to the Uyghurs. Uh, look at the Muslims. They have million or more of them in encampments, torturing them, killing them. There's no dissent. There's no freedom of speech. There's no freedom of assembly. There's no freedom to write what you want or say what you want. The government controls everything. You're given, you're given a, a number based upon your social responsibility, meaning loyalty to them, 
the good citizen. Go back to the beginning. They became all good citizens. China is the nation with good citizens and terrible people. They kill a million and a half each year because of their pollution. They don't care. When you have 1.3 billion people, what's a million and a half people per year dying of air pollution? What's it mean when you're the largest polluter in the world, the United States and China together, and now it's the largest economy in the world? Because you have an agenda. You have the right idea. Give over 80 countries billions of dollars and build a new Silk Road so you can control the commerce. You can control the body politic. You can control the environment, both by sea and land. And poor countries are taking the money. But they also have to take the, the power and the political indoctrination and the ideological uh, control that China gives. Yeah. And so we do business with China. Walmart has hundreds of factories in China. All these major multinational corporations have offloaded all of America's once dynamic and prosperous industries to China. And so now China's got the right idea. Conquer everything. Control everything. The right sports system. Our U.S. Congress. Our media will not even challenge them on where the coronavirus was um, created and, and the cost of that virus to the world because China knew now, it turns out, long before it announced the coronavirus, that it was present. It tried to cover it up. It's lied about statistics. We could have had an advantage of creating tests and quarantining people and not allowing people in the country unless they tested negative with a proper test. China was sending out faulty tests, sent faulty tests to Spain and Italy. They knowingly do that stuff. And yet we won't criticize them because we need them. We need cheap items. They buy our treasuries. So everything that harmonizes, right idea, right time, right place, right support system, they're doing for the wrong reasons. I want people to do it for the right reason, but I didn't realize until recently you always have its opposite, and that's why power is always harmonizing with other power. Now we have asset forfeiture, where the police have taken billions of dollars from innocent citizens not to write a ticket, not to arrest you. They just stop you, take what you have, because of suspicion that you are dealing in drugs or driving with drugs. All nonsense, and not a single thing is done in Congress to stop it, or the media to criticize it. Pharmaceutical companies are overdrugging kids. They're creating diseases that don't exist. They're literally pathologizing normal life. And yet, no one criticized them. They had the power. Their support system is the media, the medical industrial complex. Everyone who profits from that is a part of their support system. And yet, on our side, we've had no unified support system. Most Americans want to be healthy, and yet they won't unify to support a healthier way of living. As a result, we don't have classes showing you natural hygiene and healthy food choices and proper supplementation and exercise and meditation. In our schools, clear up through graduate school, and in our communities, we have none of these clinics. So what we don't have is we don't have a support system that's organized, and hence it's a dysfunctional support system. It's no different in many respects than those artists that were up there in 1972. I conflated the idea that people want to be healthy with the fact that they would be cooperative and intelligent, mature enough to work with other people, the holistic doctors, homeopaths, naturopaths, dentists, buying organic food, supporting local, local uh, farmers, not buying things that were artificial or toxic, and I was wrong, because we don't have a mature society today. We have a highly conditioned society. We have groupthink. We have identity politics. We have the awoke group. All of these are controlling factors. We don't even have free speech anymore. I've been an educator for a long time. Yeah, I'm a PhD in human nutrition and public health science. Yes, I'm a senior research fellow at the Institute of Applied Biology for 33 years in anti-aging medicine. Yes, I've done 44 clinical studies. I've counseled tens of thousands. I've published 
many, many articles, over 800, over 100 books, and uh, over 100 documentaries. I've done all that, yeah. And only now am I learning that what I thought would be self-evident, people would take tools to change, positive tools, books, articles, documentaries, exposés, white papers, investigative reports, and do something constructive with it, become intentionally aware so they could change. And I was wrong, totally wrong. I have to own that. That's on me, all right? That's my lesson. And because of the lessons that have been painful, that I have learned, I try to share it with you so you don't have to learn the same painful lesson. We have no consensus in the health sense. We have only people who have a consensus as to living through pleasure, a hedonic or hedonism, and on the bottom end of that scale, a selfish pursuit to that which gives them comfort and pleasure. That's the average person. And all the statistics show that only about three to 5% maximum of the American population are making constructive, positive, responsible choices on a daily basis. So, we ask a person, are you in the right job? I don't know. It's making me a lot of money. Are you healthy? Well, I'm not diseased. I haven't had a heart attack or stroke yet. Are you in the right relationship? Well, it's not the best relationship, but what are you supposed to do? Do you live in the right place? Ah, you know, I live where I can afford to live, or I live where I choose to live. Are you living in the right place, though? I don't know what the right place is. Are you spending your time in a way that is meaningful for you? Are you really enjoying friendships, and how do you know these are real friends? Have you ever been in a crisis and asked this, these friends, can you help me, and see how many make an excuse why they can't help you? Those are not your friends, never were. Do you know the central meaning of your life? What is, the, what is the anchor in your life that allows you to wake up each day and with a smile and say, I'm glad that I'm blessed again to be alive for another day? Or do you just go through these conditioned, consensus, socially acceptably, politically acceptable, economically acceptable, institutionally acceptable patterns of behavior and ritual? What are you doing? It's your life. So you see, I wished I would have had the knowledge, I wished I would have had the insight when I was just starting. I could have helped a lot more people. But then knowing what I know now, and I see how people have conformed to everything they've been told to do, and now they're wanting to give a, one just example, they want to put a chip in people's hands, and they don't know what's on that chip. So in Wisconsin, I was watching, I think it was Good Morning America, where they were showing people, yeah, I can just walk up and boom, walk right through the door now. What else is on the chip? I don't know. You're being spied upon every day. Every single phone call, every, every click that you put on a computer, someone is capturing without your knowledge because they had the power. They're the dark side. And when you don't challenge it, I have nothing to hide. Well, remember, everything you've ever sent or received, every phone call you ever made, they've captured it. What could they do to make you conform any, either more? Now they want to give a, a tattoo that is hidden, that on that will be nanotechnology that shows whether or not you've had your vaccines. And if you haven't, it can record that when you go into an airport or a bus or a movie theater or to work. And what if they decide that until you've had all your vaccines, you can't do those things? What are you going to say then? Gee, how this happened? They've been doing it in broad daylight. Almost nothing is hidden today because we don't care, because we're on the wrong road. We're living the wrong lives. We're living as obedient as disciplined to the social order as possible. We're allowed to feel our angst, our anger, our rage at the other. So we're told who's responsible for our pain. 
and then we go after them. And then we have this hate, com hate confluence of negative energies. So instead of promoting what is healthy, healing, happy, joyful, spiritual, conscious awareness, we're taught this is what you're supposed to believe. These are who the enemies are. This is how you're supposed to eat. Don't question anything we say or we'll consider you a problem. So then one day we wake up and we have thoughts, but we won't share them. We're afraid. We're afraid to stand up. We walk around with our head down and just going ahead. And then when everything happens, when right now there are people, right as I'm speaking, there are people who are at home who've lost their jobs, have no savings, can't half the American population, cannot write a check for $500. They've run out of money. They max out their credit cards, their debit cards, and they can't even go to the store and buy food if there's enough food for them to even buy. And yet the billionaires, the multimillionaires, the policymakers, the opinion leaders on television and radio and newspaper, they're not starving. They're sitting at that table. Now they sold their soul to sit at that table, but we just thought it was dandy because we were entertained by the lifestyles of the rich and famous and the Rob Report and others showing the excesses that insecure people will go to to prove by their exaggerated lifestyles that somehow we should pay attention to them. Whether it's Madonna and this freakish look in a bathtub in the middle of a coronavirus talking about how we are all the one and we're all the... No, Madonna. The average person at home is not in a multi-million dollar co-op with bubble baths, with candles and flowers floating around, doesn't have to worry about their next meal. No, you're not like other people. You've chosen to live aside from other people. You and everyone else is rich and famous. You've chosen to exclude your commonality, your common humanity. The only time we see people like this is at Thanksgiving, so their publicist says, go out and serve something to a homeless person. We'll get you on camera, so it'll make you look like you're a human being instead of this insecure, vacuous commodity of extreme narcissism and ego entitlement. Yeah, my opinion. You can have your own. And so we have millions and millions of people who are hungry. We have millions of people who feel trapped in their apartment, not because of a coronavirus, but because of the dictates of the government who says, you do this, and people said, okay, they did it. And now we have millions, tens of millions of people out of work, tens of millions of people depressed, people committing suicide, and people now who graduated from college who are not going to have any, any career. But they, even if they not had a coronavirus problem, they couldn't have asked a better question than what is the likelihood that my career that I'm going into, that everyone's encouraging me to go into, will not be taken over by artificial intelligence, transhumanism, robotics, automation, or a visa? No one's asking those questions. Those, that's the real future. Because the people in control, they already know the answer. You are redundant. You are insignificant. Your value is only in what you would buy that you didn't need, spending money you didn't have, and creating debt you couldn't handle. And then when you get so depressed, we'll give you a diagnosis and we'll give you a drug. So you see, at every stage of life, someone has commodified you. They couldn't do any of that if you created your own life with your own goals and your own desires and you harmonize the positive virtues, the five, and you stuck to it. And if you were the only person who had the truth in your life, you'll still be a majority. Thank you for watching.